From Washington, this is the Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, May 6th. You're listening to uh, the Macrocast brought to you by Markets Policy Partners and Hamilton Place Strategies. Uh, A big jobs day as they're all big jobs day. This is a pretty significant one. It's the biggest one until the next one. Um, Matt, we had some solid numbers today. Uh, Matt McDonald, as uh, Matt's obviously, as you all know, with us every every Jobs Day. Um, we're also going to have uh, Bri Odeon SNA with us um, during as, as Bri is with us on FOMC week. We had a double, you know, uh, d- double uh, hitter this week, double header this week uh, with both the FOMC and non-farm payrolls. Matt, the numbers were pretty solid, mostly, right? It's pretty solid. I think, um, Tony, I think your characterization of the most important one until the next one is probably right. I don't think that anything in the jobs number here, the, the jobs number this week to me feels like context for everything else that's going on. That's not necessarily like changing the context itself, but the headline is uh, 428,000 uh, new jobs created. Um, prime months revisions were down a little bit, down by about uh, just shy of 40,000 jobs uh, revised down. The unemployment rate was unchanged at 3.6%. Um, just to put that in context, unemployment rate prior to the pandemic was 3.5, I believe. Um, a couple of the points that people were looking at closely, um, labor force participation rate was 62.2. Again, that's that's still pretty well below the 63.4% participation rate that we saw before the pandemic. But um, but that was some years ago now, to be honest. And like you're you're going to get an aging effect in the labor force participation rate over time. So what the counterfactual is or what it should be is is not is not necessarily uh, what it was before. Wages, obviously from an inflationary perspective, that's something people are tracking the um, average hourly earnings were up 0.3% on a month over month basis. That's, that's 5.5% over a 12 month period, which is kind of in keeping where, with where we've been. I don't think that changes a ton. Um, looking under the hood on the numbers a little bit more, the, um, a lot of the job gains were driven by the services sector. I think that that's going to continue for a while. I think 78,000 jobs were in leisure and hospitality. You continue to see kind of uh, healing post-pandemic. On the unemployment rate itself, the the while it was unchanged, the only noteworthy piece as I was going through it was um, unemployment rate for Black Americans dipped from 6.2 to 5.9%, which is, I think is the first time kind of post-pandemic uh, that that's a five-handle for that for that group. So that's kind of the overview. I, I, you know, I look at this and it's a, it's a really solid number. It's worth pointing out that this is, I think the 12th month in a row where we have over 400,000. So, you know, but again, as everything is kind of context of inflation and the fed and, um, and where the broader economy is. So my guess is that it's a solid number. It's a solid report. And people probably won't be talking about it for very long. Yeah, Brenda and, and John, you know, it's coming in the context of you know pretty wild markets over the last over the last couple of days, and so uh, so I think there was a little bit more nervousness going into the number this uh, this morning 
than you might otherwise have expected because it kind of feels like we're on, you know, a little bit of something like cruise control on job creation right now, where there's sort of a, it, it is sort of seems to be more or less steady uh, return uh, to work, or at least job creation, whether it's return or not return, we don't really know. On, on the labor force participation rate, I don't think anybody really knows what the number is supposed to be. Yeah, who knows? We'll wait till next month and the month after that to see if that's real. Uh, so I wouldn't make too much about the labor force participation. But you, you are. I just right. think it's a big shrug emoji. Like who knows? Yeah. You know, I, I think it is a good sign to too. When you look at the jobs that were were created, it, they're they're going back to the normal economy, not the the COVID economy. You know, like people are working at hotels again and people are working at restaurants again. So that's a great sign. Yeah. And from the other sort of market salience of this number really is if you're looking on the horizon for trouble, if you're thinking that the U.S. might be going into a cyclical slowdown or something even worse, there are obviously people that are nervous about recession. Uh, Those uh, concerns, growth concerns are obviously more acute when you look abroad overseas at some of the data coming out of Europe and China. Yeah. Uh, But the you know, this this Labor market data, is, as good as it is, is very backward looking. It's uh, labor markets are sort of the classic lagging indicator. And uh, and if you are concerned in the markets uh, about the Fed over tightening and a cyclical slowdown and the sort of stagflationary pressures taking the wind out of the U.S. consumer, you're not going to see it in these numbers. Um, and so there was a little bit of nervousness about the uh, the average hourly earnings perhaps coming in on a really hot basis. And this is yesterday after yesterday's esoteric numbers came in, you know, the classic kind of lead up to the non-farm payrolls, you get the ADP on Wednesday, and that was pretty solid. And then you get the uh, the day before you get the uh, last week's initial jobless claims that looked pretty much in line as well. Yeah. Um, but the non-farm labor productivity, <laughs> like that's, uh, that's an econ data point. You don't talk about that much. Yeah. And it just landed with a huge thud yesterday. Yeah. I mean, when you look at that, Brendan, I mean, that was sort of part of the stagflationary uh, warning signals that flashed on the dashboard yesterday. Not saying that that was the the reason for the uh, for the the swoon in equities and the and the sell off in treasuries, but that was a bad data point, right, Brendan? Yeah, um, unit labor costs were up almost ten percent, and the, our output slowed. Uh, a bit of that was the quarter over quarter change because we're coming off of huge, you know growth. Um, and, and the, you know, people are making more money, but the, the, going back to the inflationary point and, and Tony, I'd be interested in your take on this wage growth. You can view it. Some people are saying, Oh, it's, it's a wage growth with 5.5%. And you can say, Oh, wage growth is not keeping up with inflation on the flip side. Wage growth could be the leading factor and that could be actually a good sign. So wage growth has kind of stagnated the last three months which could also be a sign that inflation has peaked and and employers aren't having to pay um, more to, to retain wait. workers because inflation is is wait is wait I want to I want to get in on the schizophrenic hot takes that the yeah. market has been producing all week so let me let me let me get in on this okay so so the the good case for the uh, for the, t- the today's jobs report is that. Okay, like the econ- the Fed is going to have to keep tightening to get inflation under control, but the economy is strong, and so it will be okay. The bad take is all the Fed tightening, the the job market is still running hot, and we will never get inflation under control until like it starts to cool a little bit. 
every time I every time I see the, these hot takes and I think about them is um, there's a movie. Just, did you ever guys ever see Glory Road? Yeah, basketball movie. There's a great scene where the black basketball player is teaching the white basketball player that bad is good. You know, his dad is bad. His dad is good. And, and the wage growth becomes this bad is good, you know, but unless, unless bad. it's good, you don't unless know. It's good. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, I agree. But look, so the numbers were uh, 5.5% year over year, over uh, year. Yep. year over year. And, and inflation is 8.5% year over year. So that's, you know, so wait, so the, the quick take is that you know, wages are, uh, you know, running about 3% behind inflation. And, and um, so, you know, do you take comfort that wages are not, we're not getting cost push inflation wages driving, you know, uh, pulling inflation uh, and instead lagging. And so will they, re, you know, will they both, uh, will they both revert Wait, I want to hear Bry. I want to hear Bry's yeah. escalated hot take on this. That's that's we, you need to it has escalated hot take by Bry, or it's not worth it. Um, <laughs> well, I, actually, I think I think I'm 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 met on this. I, I I think the fact that you know even with a negative you know GDP number, the Fed was not deterred from what they did on Wednesday, just shows that the underlying economy is good. Right, like things, things are like this. Things are not as bad as people want to think they are, and I do think we. I, I am, I am a believer in the soft landing. I, I, I'm in that camp where I think I do think they can manage this, and you know, tighten things a bit and bring it in. And I, I think people have to remember that a lot of things that are happening have nothing to do with high interest rates. Right, it's like supply chain disruptions, um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You know. The, the ongoing lockdown in Shanghai that might stretch into, into June to June, based on what I'm hearing. Like, these are things that aren't, it's, it's not an issue of like diminished, like diminished demand or. That's true. But, but Brian, those are also things that are like out of Fed control. So oh, like, yeah, exactly. I tend to fall into yeah. your camp too, but I'm, my worry is that things have to also break their way in ways that they have very little control over, you know? Yeah, no, and I think I think I think that's 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 the X factor, right? Is that they're doing all this, and I think Jay Powell acknowledged that in during a news conference he gave where he said, "Look, you know, the things that we can do, the things that are out of out of our control, and we just I, I think everyone is collectively crossing their fingers and their toes and just hoping that we see a resolution on at least some of these things over the next six months. You know, knock on wood, that might, like you said, might break the Fed's way. But I think I think honestly, for me, the biggest X factor." is the war in Ukraine. I don't see that. Yeah. So, Brian, let me ask you, if on Monday we wake up and the Russian generals overthrew Putin. What Russian generals? Are there any? <laughs> I mean, but this is just this is it, it could happen. Hypothetical, hypothetical, hypothetical. Oil, oil will be down 30, 40 dollars. What does Powell then do? You know, well, so, so here's the thing, though, the damage is already done. Right. So even if yeah, even this like this coup happens and, you know, all prices and gas prices overnight drop, there's still the massive disruption to commodities that we've seen right from like the, the war already. So that, 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 that effect will still be there for a bit until things get under control. So yeah, I don't think an overnight coup would solve things um, quickly. The soft landing, soft bright or soft dish? Uh, <laughs> um, there's a soft dish category too, uh, that we could be. 
we could be in for. I mean, I think I think it's like, and I hate to, I I I, I dislike analogies, but it's like you know when you like when you, when the, the pilot lands the plane and it does a little skip, you know, before before coming to to a stop. I, I think it'll be so like a soft-ish maybe. Then it's is 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 a better um, description. Are we gonna be go- are we gonna be swinging left to right to avoid like wind shear too? <laughs> Exactly. Right. All the all the all the certain all the all the, all the headwinds that we're facing. Yes, there'll definitely be some yeah. maneuvering that needs to happen. That's a lot. There's a lot. I, I was in a debate with uh, some uh, you know former economic policymaker friends about you know sort of the the grade on on Powell and and I'll tell you like I was alone in uh, you know acknowledging that they're obviously you know they're obviously behind the curve. I mean, anytime the Fed. Is above, you know, uh, is uh, anytime inflation is running uh, above or below the Fed's target rate, they are by definition, you know, behind the curve. That's what it means. And so it's kind of axiomatic that way. At the same time, they were like such harsh uh, uh, critics of him. And my feeling was, you know, we're doing things that have never been done before in conditions that have never been done before. And um, and so, you know, a little bit of um, humility for, you know, the certainty on direction on these things, I think, is needed by everybody. I mean, we just there are just a lot of things we really, really just don't know. That's absolutely right. And, you know, one of the things I, I want to get Bry's reaction to this, but where everybody's really picking on Jay Powell is he's talking about the labor markets, very tight, expeditious rate hikes normalization of policy, a inflation way above target. It's way too high and it's falling on the, the you know, the, the lowest, the least able to bear it. And then Steve Leesman asked him, uh, well, how about 75? And he's like, no, 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 no. no. And then, <laughs> no we're not even talking about 75. Right. And it's, that's like a total layup. All Jay Powell has to say is like, we're going to hike rates at the exact right, you know, at the, the yeah, pace that yeah. we need to, if we, the pace right now we think is good for the next, you know, coming months, but you know, we're going to be it, that, that just seemed like, and there are people that say, well, that's why the market slingshot northward and created all this. I, what What's your reaction to this, uh, to this uh, line of line of uh, it's very, it's very popular line of criticism these days, Bri. So I mean, I, so I, I think, and I, I was fortunate enough when I was back in my reporting days to have, have, have met Jay Powell um, in an off-the-record setting. And I, honestly, I think he's a pragmatist. He's, a, he's not an economist. He's not an economist by training. And so I think the way he sees it is that as things currently stand, they are not. They aren't thinking about certified basis point hike right now. Down the line, could that change? Sure. And he will telegraph that if that moment ever arises. I think. So I think that's how he operates. Right. He tells you as it is. He does not do economics speak. Right. And I do think, and this is just my opinion, I do think there's an inherent bias against Jay in the economics community because he's not one of them. Yep. Great right? point. I, I do think they, they do judge him for that. But I think, I think I, frankly, I'm glad that in this situation we're dealing with, we've got someone at the head of the Fed who's not bound by any sort of like school of thinking or ideology or whatever you want to call it. Or his model, so, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so he, he will, he will steer the ship based on what he sees right in front of him. I will not, you know, let anything else interfere with that. So I think, I think it was fine what he said, because as things currently stand, he was telling the truth that they're not thinking about 75 basis points. Now if down the line, things go pear shaped, right. And they need to move faster then he, you know, that could be on the table. But I think, him just being blunt, sure, the market, the market it, it caused the reaction to the markets, but I think it also gave people clarity 
as to the Fed's current thinking. Um, was there anything else? I mean, that, that's a, if we just, just switch to, to, to Powell and the, um, and the, the FOMC meeting, anything else that, that, uh, that surprised you came out of any, any of you on that from, uh, you know, clearly on people focused on rates, but anything on roll off and purchases was that pretty much what we expected? I think that was pretty much, it was pretty much what was expected. There was a sense of, you know, maybe it would be a couple more steps or whatever, but a phased in uh, approach to the 95 billion. So that was pretty much right down the fairway. But I think when it comes to quantitative tightening, you know, we get a lot of questions about quantitative tightening uh, from our, from our clients. And it is this very, (laughs) it's a very untried kind of uh, policy. We've only really done it once. It was 17 to 19. And that coincided with a really you know, solid economic uh, uh, boom really at the time. And, uh, and so, you know, what is the impact of it? That's a, that's a big question. And, uh, you know, the, the, on Wall Street, of course, you know, the equity crowd, very biased to, to the upside, you know, you say, well, quantitative easing, what do, what do asset purchases do? They say, well, it's rocket fuel for asset prices, sends them right up. And they say, well, okay, then when you put that policy in reverse, doesn't it do the opposite? And they're like, not necessarily. <laughs> so, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, is it is it bullish for long-term treasuries? Because uh, I mean, because it's it's something that's it's tightening and it it may like, you know, have a lower growth and in inflation profile down the road, or is it bearish because you're, you know, adding back duration onto the market. It's a, it, it's contextually, you know, dependent, I, I think. I mean, Brian, I, you, you probably have a more, a more uh, sophisticated uh, assessment of it based on. Uh, well, based I was, was going to ask you guys for your thoughts. Like, what do you think? Because I've, I've seen some commentary about this, but I've never been to get a definitive answer. Like, what does this mean? Or what, what would the Fed, I guess, so the Fed's slow exit from the Treasury market. What would that mean for like government borrowing going forward or government like debt issuance going forward? Do you think it has a material effect or they've already like baked this in and they can plan they can plan around it? I think that's just driven by uh, I think that's just driven by other uh, other considerations and you know the the extent to which the Fed is in the market. You know if it's uh, if if the if the Fed is in the market purchasing uh, purchasing Treasuries, does that make it easier for us to run deficits? I guess you know the classical formulation would say yeah yeah mm-hmm. it does because there's a source of demand out there. Uh, but the question is you know is there a is there a source of demand that is going to step in readily from from the Fed and uh, and you know we've that's a that's a very testable proposition at this point and one of well, the big I mean, factors yesterday yeah I mean we're certainly coming off though I mean like, you know I mean we shouldn't should know that like I mean fiscal fiscal deficits are coming significantly down yeah I mean, it, it's down three hundred fifty billion dollars uh, yeah. from a year ago uh, so we are yeah, so. we're just issuing way less debt than we were because we're not doing the the COVID stimulus like we were. Before. Yeah. So there's less need for it. And it's, and it seemed like um, there's, you know, still remains lots of capa- global capacity, global appetite for U S treasuries. So I, I don't think that's going to have a you know, big impact. I mean, rates are going to go up because um, you know, because uh, you know, that's where the fed wants them. <laughs> yeah. The fed wants them to go. Goal, right. Yeah. And, and, and Powell's paying attention as he, you know, he said it a, he emphasized it again that, you know, their their gauge is financial conditions and, you know, financial conditions, um, uh, you know, is measured by the like the 10 year is what, three point one this morning. Um, yeah, it's above three. And, and yeah, also 3. The, the two 10 year y- yield curve has been steepening for the last week. Yeah. 
you know, so that's so like, the, the, you know, the market is doing the work for them. Uh, and, uh, and mortgage rates, the 30 year mortgage is, you know, uh, um, uh, yeah. uh, you know, about five uh, percent. Yeah. Right. And that's it, it seems to have we've seen like sort of just some of the early anecdotal readings on uh, on refis on uh, and uh, and mortgage applications. I mean, it sounds like it's having the intended effect of slowing down. Um uh, housing. There are lots yeah, of things totally. about housing, which is the fact that it was like, like as Zillow reported yesterday, I wanted to ask you guys about it. Or was that yesterday or today? The Zillow reporting or uh, it yeah. was today. Yeah. Today. Yeah. And, um, you know, and there's just, there's no supply, right? I mean, like you go on Zillow and it's, like a map. Yeah. it's a map, like there are no homes for sale on it, you know? And, yeah. Uh, but you're and- right. So refi has completely dropped it off a cliff because everyone already did the refi. And new applications are down 67% from the peak, which the peak was, you know, just a few months ago. Uh, and then if you, if you want to buy a house, we, we haven't built many. Uh, and now if you're locked into a two and a quarter, 30 year mortgage, your bar for moving is pretty high, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty sticky, right? I mean, uh, yeah. if, you're, if that's what you paid for, uh, that's a mortgage that you that you've got. I mean, you're trading it for something up around five percent now. Exactly. And, yeah. No. Well, so were there any? Were there any, uh, you know any other data that surprised you this week? Well, uh, I think the, probably- the European data was awful. The same with the Chinese data. We, we focused so much on the the Fed and the um, and the the jobs number this week that I think the the, the noise was a little. Um, we, we didn't focus so much internationally. The European data was awful. The Bank of England raised rates to one percent. And said inflation is going to be really high and growth is going to be really low. Uh, you know, we don't think it's a recession, but basically growth is going to be zero. For Oh, the for pound took a beating on that. Beating. Yeah. And, uh, and this is already, you know, at, at, at very low levels over the current recent range. Um, it's a, you know, when you, as, as we mentioned before, when you look when you look at the U.S., it's, you know, there's some question marks around the, the future growth and that sort of thing and some some noise in the data particularly the forward-looking stuff, but you look overseas and the picture is just a lot bleaker and, you know, obviously closer to the conflict in Europe um, and so forth. But, uh, but one of the things to pay attention to next week, it's sort of off the radar. It's Chinese, Chinese monetary aggregates and credit numbers. Uh, And so uh, Beijing has been talking about stimulating the economy more and more Chinese officials have been coming out and saying, we're going to hit our targets. We're going to hit our growth targets and, uh, you know, not really giving out specifics on what they're going to do to, to accomplish that. Uh, but this is, this is how you would typically see Chinese stimulus. You see it in these credit numbers, in these monetary aggregates. And, uh, you know, we've just seen over the past few months, uh, very high ranking Chinese officials talking up and jawboning the market, but really nothing concrete that uh, that could really move the needle in terms of growth. And so and they're is, leaning even harder into watch. the zero covid policy that. Yeah, that remains a that remains a major issue and a question mark around, you know, the reverberations through supply lines. Uh, you know, the the questions about, you know, have we only seen the beginning of the supply chain shock that's coming from this lockdown? And that's a scary question. Um, particularly given that we've seen the consequences of of uh, supply chain and entanglements um, on, on to, to give us this level of inflation. Yeah, and and one one thing that came up in the conversation I had with a client earlier this week about the Shanghai situation was that he was saying, look, right now, you know, everything that's coming out of there is coming out at the trickle, right? Eventually, at some point, and he he was saying from his his supplies in China that this lockdown might be in place until June. He's like, eventually, when that's lifted, you're gonna have a flood of products competing for very limited space 
on ships leaving Shanghai yeah. to come yeah. to come this way, right? So then everything's gonna get backed up even worse because now you have things are reopened, but it's not enough space to take everything at once. Or you know, and so he and so that's where his concern is: is that we think it's bad now. It's about to get worse once the lockdown is lifted. You should just you should see more. It's interesting because you see go the other way too, right? Because you should see more energy demand from uh, from China as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just. I mean, that's a great. Ex- China alone is just one of those great examples of you know, how hard it is to wrap monetary policy around conditions around the world. Like, what do you what? You know, how, how does that feed into a Taylor Rule model? You know, fit China lockdown, supply chain, you know, restart flooding with uh, retail products and then sucking in energy again, starting in June, put that into your Taylor rule. Where does that go? Like, I don't know. You ever need to know where it fits on the equation, right? It doesn't. You're you're 100% right. And everyone that's criticizing Powell is then telling him to tighten into a supply constraint economy. That can bring down inflation, but the way it brings it down is by sucking growth and we go into recession. They don't, they don't, they don't say that part of the, the, the sentence, you know? That's why I said ish, or, you know, yeah. ish <laughs> but no recession. I, I thought he was, you know, he was asked about recession and, uh, and I thought he was very careful. I think was, I thought he was very careful in how he talked about it, uh, obviously, because you don't want to <clears throat> frighten people into a recession either. And he didn't want to be looking back, you know, and, saying, you know, saying there's not going to be a recession and then, uh, and then see it coming. And you know, I'm with Bri, I'm in a camp of like that they are going to be able to land this plane uh, because I still think the kinds of things that he talked about, the, you know, very, still very strong balance sheets, both business and households, you know, 3.6% unemployment is a real thing, you know, 400 plus thousand job creation uh, every month is a real thing. And it's just really hard for me to see an actual recession in that, uh, in, in this environment. Um, but certainly if they, you know, if they start throwing around, you know, you know, 75 uh, basis points uh, policy rates, I could see, I could definitely see that happen, but it doesn't look like that's, he said it's not on the table and I don't see it on the table. And I think they're going to get something, you know, going to work their way closer to neutral and I think that this economy will be just fine. I th- I'd feel differently if we were at today, if we was at, uh, you know, if we were at 5.5%, 6% unemployment and looking like it might edge higher, if that's what we were looking at, yeah, I'd, be, I'd start worrying about stagflation and recession. I don't, I don't understand stagflation with 3.6% unemployment rate and 400,000 right. job cre- jobs, uh, job creation. Also, we talk about, you know, the stock market, the last couple of days have felt, you know, horrifying with the moves, but the, the S and P is actually still slightly up on the week. So you got to keep things in perspective. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you, I was in, I was stuck in, uh, I was in a courtroom with a client yesterday. And, uh, and so I mer- I emerged back and, uh, you know, you know, I have your electronic devices with you, you know, so I wasn't able to look at the markets until two o'clock as I opened up my phone and <laughs> um, 1500 points. And I had to quickly, you know, rush over to Twitter and see, like, did, did we, did, did war happened, break yeah. out somewhere? Yeah. I mean, yeah. is the, uh, yeah. Well, it's so, tough. I mean, these days it's really tough. The conflation, we've talked about this before, the way in which financial conditions and equity prices have been conflated, asset risk, asset prices, prices have been conflated to a degree to which, and we've just seen this over and over again, because every time, you know, when they're the Fed put 
was in place, whenever risk assets and equities would fall, the Fed would say, look, financial equities are falling. That's a big tell for financial conditions tightening. That is our cue to loosen. And the formulation we have now is a lot of investors saying, hey, if the market goes up, that's telling Jay Powell that he's not doing enough. And so the, you know, we've we've called this the green means go, which is, you know, if the equity market goes up, the Fed's going to go faster. Um, And uh, and that's a formulation that obviously, you know, the Fed isn't isn't staring at the S&P tick for tick trying to make policy around it. But it is a major indicator and a day to day indicator of financial conditions that they certainly do pay attention to. So a lot of investors are thinking, you know, the Fed wants the market to go down. It's a feature, not a bug. Well, I, I think it's fair to say, especially following lockdown and the, the stimulus checks that a lot of people got in their pockets that they then invested in the market, that there's there are a lot more people now who are invested in the market, right? So it is, a, I think it's a, it is a better, it is more an indicative of people's wealth than it was in the yep. past. I mean, in the past, there was like less people who had money in the market. Now it's more democratized. So it actually does, you know, have some bearing on people's, on people's um, 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 bank balances that it used to. Um, all right. Anything else out of, this, uh, out of the, this week that we should be thinking about? I think, um, I think we covered it. Yeah, just the last few points. Uh, the European Union coming together for a Russian oil embargo, uh, that has put a floor. Well, it's, it's, it's obviously oil prices are still high. But uh, that that kind of talk has kept a floor under oil prices and propelled them higher this week. Even amid all of the downside yesterday, oil prices were up and yep. uh, you don't see that very much. And uh, this is also coming as the uh, the Senate committee has passed the NOPEC bill, <laughs> which opens the cartel to potential antitrust action. This is not new. Uh, it doesn't tend to make it through, but maybe the conditions are different now. It's something to cast an eye upon. For sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to see oil back up over uh, right around, I think, June WTI up around above 107 now, I think. And yeah, uh, definitely worth keeping an eye. They're going to do it gradually uh, throughout the year, but uh, the direct, everyone knows the direction and it's good and for all the right reasons. But yeah, there's been continued pressure on oil. Uh, what about next week? What, what, what data we have? Well, on my front, the, the biggest thing is Liverpool has a chance to win all the four big ones. And it looks like Chelsea is going to be sold to an American. So things are looking good. <laughs> Just pick a man while he's down. While he's down. <laughs> yeah, Bri, we got to have an update there. Uh, well, we're in the FA Cup on uh, next Saturday, playing Liverpool, so that should be that should be interesting. Um, as far as far as the ownership goes, I at this point I'm just like no news is good news, just because I don't want to think about it. So <laughs> um, yeah, I've just sort of like just tuned out all news of the Chelsea sale until it's final. Fantastic, it's coming soon. Yeah. yeah. Next week, Brendan, you better you better be focused on uh, on on, on uh, UK Premier League football because if you follow our Boston teams here at home, yeah, <clears> things <throat> aren't well. Actually, the, the Celtics are doing okay, but our, well, that's okay. Yeah, our that's Bruins good. are uh, and our, our Red Sox are not looking too good right now. Yeah. Next week we've got CPI and PPI in the US, um, so that's uh, that's that's definitely in focus. Yeah. It's and honestly, it. those are more important than the the jobs number. Um, Absolutely. Because like you said, yeah, I think jobs is kind of on cruise control. The, the jobs market is, is strong. Seems that way. I mean, it's been pretty easy to, uh, you know, throw up your non-farm payroll guesses uh, last couple of months. Um, uh, even if revisions, I mean, I mean, revisions have had to make some, make us right sometimes in, uh, in, in yeah, retrospect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's the case. All right, guys. Great show, Bri. Uh, great to have you. Um, Matt, as always, uh, huge thanks on the on the non-farm payrolls day um john and brendan 
Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.